in Ezekiel chapter 37, we'll be reading verses 1 through 14. The word of our Lord from the prophet says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord. He set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then He caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And He said to me, O son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, You know. Again He said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, O Son of Man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as He commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then He said to me, O Son of Man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are very dry and our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people." and brought you up from your graves. I will put My Spirit in you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, on this day, you open the way of eternal life to every race and every nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad your Spirit, this gift, throughout the world by the preaching of the Gospel that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit one God, forever and ever. Amen. I do not know Hebrew. I know a, uh, a touch of Greek. But I do know some Hebrew words. And I do know that the Hebrew word ruach means spirit. 
It also means wind, and it also means breath. Here in our English translation, you have all three of those words being used, but the Hebrew word is one word, ruach. You have mention of the breath, for these bones are dead and dry, and they lack the breath of life. You have mention of wind, because Ezekiel, the son of man, is called to prophesy to the four winds, to breathe, to ruach upon these dry bones. And you have mention of spirit. Here specifically, the Holy Spirit. For God says, I will put my ruach, my spirit, in my people. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is also called the Spirit of Christ. Paul and John both teach us that to have the Spirit is to have Christ. To have the Spirit is to have the Son and the Father also. Jesus told His disciples, I am going away, and it was amazing what He said to them, I am going away to prepare a place for you. So that where I'm going to be, you might be also. Christmas, the beginning of the liturgical calendar with Advent, is all about the coming of God in the Messiah, Jesus. To be with His people, to live among us. And it's so fitting that that's how the church calendar begins. That God has become man. Emmanuel, God with us. In this day of Pentecost, we have reached the halfway point through the church calendar. And again, we are declaring that God is with us. Because Jesus told His disciples, though I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then He goes on to tell them that He's going to come in the person of the Holy Spirit. And He tells them, not only will the Spirit come to be in you and to dwell in you, but He will bring My presence and that of My Father. God likes to be with you. If that does not stun you, As the old preacher said, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. If that does not stun you, if that does not excite you, then there's something either either wrong with your thinking about God or there's something wrong with your soul. But the Christian story, all of it, is about God wanting to be with His people. Back last year, last summer, we were walking through the Old Testament. And you might remember that there was a constant refrain. I I got it actually from Sandy Richter. If you want to look her up, she's got books and videos and so forth you can go check out. She's an amazing, amazing Old Testament theologian and historian. The Old Testament is about God's people 
living in God's place, His land, and enjoying God's presence. That's what the New Testament is about as well. He has made us to be His people. And He's preparing a place for us, but He doesn't leave us alone because He sends His presence with us even now. That's what Pentecost is about. That's what the whole Gospel is about. That God has not left us alone. What began and was destroyed in the fall, God will be faithful and He will see it to, uh, through to the end and He will bring us back into that garden. And He will bring us back to be His people. The book of Genesis tells us that when God created man, He formed him out of the dust of the ground. He, he used His hands to make us, to shape us. And He said within Himself, I, I can imagine the Father speaking to the Son and the, the Spirit dropping eaves, listening. Let us make man in our image. And so God put His hands into the dirt and He created us in His very own image. And then what happened? God breathed into them the breath of life. If you remember your Hebrew, you can interchange spirit there. God inspired them, breathed into them. It's the same word that Paul uses when he talks about the Scripture being breathed out by God. It is inspired. It is filled with spirit, with life. He breathed into them the spirit of life. And man became a living being. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And to have the Spirit of Christ is to have the Son and the Father also. But the converse, Jesus and Paul says is also true, to not have the Spirit. To think that the Spirit is just something special for those who are the special elite spiritually. To think that the Spirit is, is, is not part of God's goal for my life at this point. To not have the Spirit is to have neither the Son nor the Father. Jesus said, if you reject Me, you're rejecting ultimately the Father. Because I'm His agent. I'm the Messiah. I'm the One who has come to redeem. The Holy Spirit is not some addendum to the spiritual life. Notice we call it the spiritual life. Life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not for the elite. The Holy Spirit is the norm of Christian living. And Paul tells us that if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. You can't miss the Trinitarian theology there. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. Imagine the impossibility of that language. Your mortal bodies. Your dying bodies. Your lifeless bodies. Your bodies that are going to die. 
He will give life through His Spirit. Pentecost is about recreation. God has not left His world alone. He has not left His people alone. He has not left Adam and Eve in their sin. He has come to recreate. And so much so that Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, boom, new creation. Paul doesn't have time to get into all the the word parsing like we do in our English translations. We read, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul simply says in the Greek, if any man is in Christ, new creation. That's it. The breath has returned. The breath of God that was breathed into Adam and Eve, making them living beings, was what was lost in the fall. But God has returned. And so we speak of the Christian life as beginning with regeneration. A technical theological term, but it's about the beginning again of life. New life coming. A new origin. The breath returns. Pentecost is about restoration. That which was lost being found. That which was abandoned being restored. We use the name Holy Spirit and we too often forget that that could be implied a couple of ways and I think both are utterly biblical. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit who is holy. His character is holy. He, after all, He is the Spirit of God and God is holy. He is the Spirit of Christ and Christ is holy. But the Spirit who is holy is also the Spirit who makes holy. And all throughout the Old and New Testaments, we have God calling His people to holiness. You be holy for I am holy. Jesus even said it. We can't say, well, that's Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus is all about just... You know, letting bygones be bygones and everybody's just getting to heaven. He says, you be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Whoa, Lord, you've got the wrong guy. That can't be me. Pentecost is about restoration. We speak of the, the, the living of the Christian life beginning in regeneration, but continuing on through another technical theological term, sanctification. The process by which God is making us holy. The work of God's Spirit in our lives in raising up children of God in Christ. In making us to be no longer babes in Christ, but making us to be growing up children in Him. And so that Spirit, that breath that returns, comes to purge. He comes to cleanse. He comes to purify. And He comes to wash. And so we have baptism. That covenantal rite. The sign of the covenant through which we come into Christ's body. Being washed by water. 
as God through His Spirit longs to restore restore purity, restore cleanliness, restore His life in us. The prophet Ezekiel is carried to a valley. And the situation is completely and utterly impossible. He says it's a big valley. And not only that, it's filled with bones. Not only that, there's a lot of bones, he says. And not only that, he says, those bones are very, very dry. This is the epitome of death and lifelessness. Of impossibility. This is not a corpse. This is a corpse that is dried up and leaves only a skeleton. And the bones aren't even put together because Ezekiel says that God has to put them together. It is impossible. What Ezekiel's eyes see, it it doesn't happen under normal circumstances. But we serve a God who does the impossible. We serve a God with whom all things are possible. And so Ezekiel sees this valley and you can just imagine the overwhelming sense of impossibility. Yahweh, you're telling me this is Israel? You remember, Ezekiel is living with Israel in captivity. They are in Babylon. They are as dead as dead gets in the ancient world. There was not a single nation before Israel or after Israel that came out of exile. Not a single nation. To go into exile meant you were done. You were spent. Your culture was completely absorbed and lost. There was no coming out. There was no life beyond that death. But Ezekiel sees a valley and it's completely impossible. It is filled with bones and many, many bones and it is filled with dry, dry and lifeless bones. And I love what Yahweh says to Ezekiel. He, he's challenging his faith, almost like Jesus when, when uh, there's the great multitude, 5,000 men and no telling how many women and babies. You know, we think the, the feeding of the 5,000 is, is, uh, is a pretty remarkable thing. Think of it. There's probably 20,000 people there at least. Can you imagine all the kids running around? I'm hungry. And you remember Jesus says, what are we going to do to feed them? And the disciples are, uh, uh, we found this one kid. He's got a lunchbox. He's got a couple of little barley loaves and 
fish, little sardines. Jesus is pushing them, challenging their faith. And here Yahweh asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And you you got to believe that Ezekiel's gut reaction is, well, no. The, these aren't even freshly dead. The, they're dry and they're scattered everywhere. And Ezekiel's response is, is kind of it's kind of a cop out. Oh Lord, you know. He doesn't answer the question. Oh Lord, you know. Yahweh calls him son of man. The, the, the title that Christ embraced for himself. Son of man, speak to those bones. Speak into the impossibility of this situation. Son of man, even when the bones are put back together, and even though there's flesh covering those bones, and they look like people, speak to the Ruach. Speak to the wind. Speak to the breath. Speak to the Spirit. Because these bones and these bodies are still lifeless. And the breath comes. The breath returns. In the most impossible of circumstances, God shatters our darkness with light. God fills our dryness with rivers of living water, as Jesus told the multitudes. If you thirst, come. And drink. He told the woman at the well that. The Samaritan woman. He asked her first. Woman will you please get me something to drink. And she's. In shock and awe. What are you talking. Number one I'm a woman. Number two I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jewish man. What are you doing talking to me? He says oh if you had only known. Who it is that you're speaking with, you would have asked for water and I would have given you living water. Her circumstances were completely impossible. Let me go call my husband. (laughs) You've got five husbands and the one you're living with now isn't even your husband. Remember, she runs back to the townspeople and says... I think I've found Him. I think I've found the Messiah. Could it be? He told me everything there was to know about myself. The Spirit's work in the people of God is to quicken, to give life, to renew, to revive, to reinvigorate, to rekindle, to bring 
life. And that life He brings to the disciples at Pentecost. But He brings it not just to mere individual believers. Those are the revitalized skeletons that Ezekiel envisions. Sure, there are bodies here. Well, individual people, but they're still lifeless. But the Spirit comes to give life also to the church. Ezekiel says, Behold, there was a a revitalized army. A great army. The Spirit comes to enliven the believer and He comes to enliven the body of Christ. The new birth is a miracle. That, That God could take that which was spiritually dead that which was spiritually disinterested, that which was spiritually lost and can bring life. But Paul speaks also of the miracle of the one body that is the church. That somehow believers in Ephesus are united to one another by the Spirit. And that body is united to that of Colossae and Corinth and Thessalonica. That God through His people is filling the world with a body. Some refer to Pentecost as the birthday of the church. For Jesus told His disciples, having commissioned them, He told them, you're going to wait in Jerusalem. Don't you go anywhere. You stay put. And you'll be endued with power. He reminded them, John baptized you with water, but I will baptize you with fire and with My Spirit. And it was at Pentecost that Peter stood up and began preaching in Acts chapter 2, begin declaring what God had done through His Messiah. That they had killed Him, but that God had raised Him from the dead. And you remember the people cry out, what are we going to do then? He says, you'd better turn. You'd better repent. And suddenly, the impossibility of the cross, the impossibility of the disciples hiding out in fear. All of the impossibilities that were the church at that moment are destroyed by the life-giving power of God's Spirit. Suddenly, Peter has boldness. Suddenly, the disciples are a united force ready to conquer the world, ready to establish the kingdom of God, so much so that you have bickering in the book of Acts. Man, the disciples are coming here. Those nuts have turned the world upside down. As I read this week, I can't remember who it was. Um, The church has been given to the world to actually... Not turn the world upside down, but turn the world right side up. 
But notice that Jesus told his disciples, tarry in Jerusalem. Wait. Hold that thought. Please wait a moment. Your call will be answered in the order it was received. Lord, really? He told them to wait. It seems almost unfair. There are a lot of things that seem almost unfair. We think unfairness in the Old Testament. There's a lot of things in the New Testament. You remember the writer to the Hebrews says it's kind of unfair that those, those faithful saints of, of the past, and it goes down the litany of those who died in faith. He says they, they died having not yet had God's promise fulfilled to them. But God's got something even better in store for us, the church. You know, why didn't... Why was there such a waiting period for the cross? Forget the waiting period that was... That led up to Christmas. You know, we get to Advent. we got four weeks to wait before we celebrate Christmas. That's nothing compared to the world waiting for the Messiah to come. And then when the Messiah does come, the, the world gets to wait another 33 years. Jesus calls His disciples 30 years into it, and there's still three more years for, that we get to wait. Why all this waiting? After Jesus is crucified, He's buried in a tomb. And there's still more waiting. It's the third day that He rises from the dead. And even still, wait, wait. There's 40 more days before Jesus ascends to the Father. You would think if God was you know, worried about time sensitivity that it would just be done. You know, you get the Messiah there, we crucify, all right, we're done. He's back in heaven. But even after Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand, there's 10 days before Pentecost. The name itself, Pentecost, means the 50th. The 50th what? The 50th day. 50 days after Passover. Terry in Jerusalem. Relationships don't just happen automatically. We are not automatons. We are not machines. We are people made in the image of God. And we take time. We take time to build relationships with one another and we take time to build relationships with God. I remember when Lindsay and I first started dating, uh, before I even left town after we began our time of dating, I mentioned marriage. <laughs> and it was it was wasn't as awkward as it probably sounds. 
but um, you know, I, I didn't know what the future would hold, but I knew that I was hoping it would hold her. But there was still some time to wait. There was still a relationship to be built. That's how history works. And history is the ground upon which theology is built. We know nothing about God except what He has revealed to us. And how has He revealed it? In history. This book is not a book of myth. It is a book of history. Where God has invaded our world in real time and real space and has made Himself known to His people. Where He's established a people. And throughout the life of that people, we've, we've learned who we are and how we relate to this holy God. And we learn who He is and how He wants to relate to us. In some sense, we could say, well, why the wait? Well, it's not because of some lack of interest on God's part. It's a lack of hunger and thirst on ours. You eat a meal and then you have to wait before you get hungry again. And that's, in, in fact, how the disciples waited. They waited feasting. Feasting in prayer. Feasting and fasting. We wait for God's blessing. Not to try to maneuver God. Not to try to manipulate Him. Not to try to prove that we really, really want something and therefore He ought to give it. We wait to prepare ourselves for His blessing. We wait for the day of marriage. Not to try to prove that we really love that other person. But to get ready to prepare Jesus in the Beatitudes said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Beatitudes seem like impossibilities. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not even just the poor, but the poor in spirit. Those who don't feel like they've got life together. Blessed are they. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. The breath returns to God's people. For God desires a holy dwelling. He desires a temple. 
And the New Testament tells us that that temple is you. And that temple is us. That there's a, an individual and a corporate dimension to this temple that God is building for Himself. The Spirit of God wants to live in your heart, not as some blessing for those who really are committed, but God wants to begin the work of restoring and recreating your life just as He wants to do in mine. And He wants to bring about the restoration and the recreation of the world through His church, the body of Christ, the temple of the living God. And He tells us, wait. Not wait passively, but wait actively. You've heard the saying, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. If you haven't heard it, you have now. What am I going to do, Lord, while I'm waiting? You're going to do what you know to do. You're going to pray. And you're going to seek. You're going to spend time in the Scriptures. You're going to spend time among God's people. You're going to spend time encouraging. You're going to spend time serving. Because God is going to do great things in us. He's going to turn our impossibility into the miraculous. The breath will return. And as Yahweh told Ezekiel, O son of man, speak to the breath. Speak to the wind. Speak to the Spirit. Our time of waiting ought to be a time in which we speak to God's Spirit and we say, Lord, give me life. Cleanse my heart. Make me your very own. Make me clean. May your will be done on earth just as it's done in heaven. May it be done in my life just as you want it to be. Let's spend a couple of minutes before we sing again in quietly waiting before God and quietly pouring out our hearts to Him and asking Him to do a work in us and through us that only He can do. Let's pray. O Spirit, we pray that You would take all of who we are, that You would fill it with Your presence, that You would wash it with water, that You would cleanse it with fire, that You would fill it with the breath of life.
We give ourselves to be your people. We pray that you would give us life. So that we might live and so that others might know the truth of the gospel through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.